Hello and welcome to What a Jazz Podcast. I'm your host, Elze Vishnevskita, and this week we sit down with dancer and performer from Turkey, Errol Akinci. Coming from a musical background, Errol shares his journey of discovering jazz, his interest in bop era and UK jazz, as well as his approach to teaching dance. We discuss the current dance scene in Turkey, common misconceptions about bebop, the importance of listening and discovering new music, and prioritizing improvisation. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. And without further ado, put your hands together for Adol. What if we start with a, a bit of a backstory? Because I'm also yes. very curious um, how dance was introduced into your life. Oh, um, that's a good one. I recently done a, a little interview, which was a project of a Chinese dancer. So a lot of these questions came recently. So I'm mm -hmm. quite prepared. <laughs> <laughs> you practice your speech? <laughs> I, I practice. Not the speech, but at least as I remember the story. So um, I think it was around end of 2016 or 17, where me and a friend of mine were having a gig on a Sunday on a rooftop of a hotel. And we were playing a lot of um, also Turkish, like pop songs, old pop songs, recent ones, but also kind of, you know, like songs like Blue Skies and Corsovalo or like a lot of these like jazz standards. So it's really this lobby music, what they call it, in a very rich restaurant. Mm. And when we were playing these kind of songs with the with the swing field, and I didn't I didn't know much of the theory, or like I was just playing by ear. Uh, the singer that I was playing with, she said, "Oh yeah, people dance to this music. Did you know?" Uh, and I said, "I have no clue." And then she said, "Yeah, there's actually a studio nearby." we can uh, sign up for classes. And I said, okay, let's, let's do that. And this is how I started. Uh, which, uh, which studio was it? It was Swing Istanbul. Mm. At the time, there were two main studios. It wasn't mm -hmm. like now. So we had just like Swing Istanbul and then another school. And I don't know why we chose one of another, but she arranged it all. So I didn't know. I just went to the class. Yeah. Was it the music then that made you kind of stick to it? Like once you started dancing or were there any other elements that really made you want to yeah, continue? I mean, it, I entered from the music side, mm. which is a bit rare, I guess, especially these days. Um, so that was already nice because we said, okay, like the music is nice. Let's, let's try what the dance is like. And I didn't know how it looked or anything. But I got hooked up quite from the beginning. And at the time, it was way more of a, I would call it a cozier community. Um, you know, just uh, these two schools and then a lot of people who just came over their friends and not maybe a lot over social media and so on. So it was a very um, close and warm community. At least this is how I felt when I first started. And people were very welcoming. And there was a little nice studio when I started, which 
closed long time ago now, mm-hmm. but in the center of Istanbul. And it was also different times politically, socially. Um, so I guess, yeah, I also got hooked up on the on the social aspect and kind of the the part with the community and spending time together and the practice sessions and the parties. They felt all very warm. Mm. How how would you describe the community now compared to when you started dancing? Ooh, risky questions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I was um, before I answer your question. I uh, someone recently told me about some kind of interview that I this is the only interview I ever had, which was three years ago. Mm. And they were like, "Oh yeah, I I heard you in this speech, and you said something about this." And I said, oh, wow, did I say that? And I went back to the interview and I just saw that, like, I said so many stuff that I really regret. <laughs> so now with the podcast, I'm kind of like, <laughs> everything I say is just on 2024, beginning 2024 terms. So it might change. I want to say it from the start. Um, I mean, compared to the time I started, I guess, mm. which was now seven years ago or so, six, seven years ago. It, it feels more broad. It feels more, in a way, split, I would say. Um, there was politics and stuff happening uh, between schools at the time as well, but it felt less and everything was located kind of in the same place. And now I think there's a lot of branching of different schools, of uh, different styles of teaching, I would call it, or I don't know if it's even a style, I would call it a lack of knowledge and the priority of business. Okay, mm. I'm going mm-hmm. <laughs> to <gonna> regret this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I say it everywhere. It's, uh, it's no problem. But uh, yeah, I feel that now it's a lot of people coming over over Instagram and this is not necessarily a bad thing, right? When I said this recently to someone who's very attached to the dance, uh, said I came over Instagram. I mean, obviously, it's not like it's not a judgment who comes over Instagram. But I remember at the time of 2017, it was either you would see it on a like street, or someone will drag you into it, mm. or you would discover it through like hard ways of saying like okay we can dance to this music so let's check what's it called and we found the name lindy hop and everyone i talked to were either friends of someone or people who saw it in a park people who saw it in a uh, party or so um and now i feel it's way more commercialized in istanbul at least a lot of schools have a lot of students and a lot of people come just by the idea of wanting to do a partner dance, not necessarily having to, to have any kind of interest in jazz and not, not even in jazz or jazz dancing, mm-hmm. but just anything having a similar taste. And it feels more, yeah, it's just we're trying to keep everyone in the dance and grow. Uh, I'm not sure how good of an idea it is. And that's why I feel, even though I'm way more involved now, because once I started, I moved to Amsterdam after a very short while. Uh, Now I'm way more involved, but I also feel like I'm in such a tiny piece of the whole community. And also I think the image of Turkey does not represent the whole community 
of Turkey, I would have to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, uh, it looks like I just said all the negative things, but I'm just comparing it to the time I started. Mm. It did feel way more together. And obviously over time, there are way more schools, way more students, way more studios, way more socials, I guess. And um, it feels more of a race sometimes and unnecessarily competitive, I would say. Mm. Um, yes, this is... The- yeah, that okay. makes sense. I mean, it, it it sounds a little bit like the the question between being inclusive in a way that we want to invite everyone and kind of as many people as as we can, but then is it actually the, the the point of like getting everyone to dance, or is it getting people who really want to be part of this culture and the yeah. the dance, right? But at the same time some people might want to be part of it, but they don't know about it. So like then this commercial or like Instagram aspect can, can serve in a certain way. Absolutely. I think Remy says something nice about it, right? Like about how his perspective changed as well in in one of the talks. I don't remember when, but yes, it's quite of a tricky situation where you want to have it open. So people who would actually want to become a part of it, find the opportunity for it. But at the same time, you drag a lot of people into it Mm. um, without necessarily with the goal of just like keeping them from class to class and not just saying, okay, maybe it's nothing for you. I never, you know, hear that in the community. Maybe, maybe this dance is, you know, maybe (laughs) you should try something. (laughs) No, it's like stick. (laughs) Yeah. How do you navigate that in your local classes or when you organize things uh local classes i'm mostly known to be very brutal (laughs) (laughs) i'm known to be bitter and sweet at the same time um pushing too much or so and I've reduced way more teaching locally. Now, I ha- I wasn't teaching for many months. Now I only have this year. I'm only going to teach two months or so locally. And because I didn't feel like I was, I had a purpose uh, in teaching locally. Um, I navigated in a way that I would say, at least on my terms with the school that I work with, Um, I do not push so much for people to stick to the dance. Like I, it's not in a sense that I don't care. It's just, you know, uh, when, when I see people like not enjoying it or just not feeling the music after all these months, or I don't know, it's just, I don't try to keep them necessarily, I would say, but like I said, not in an exclusive, like exclusive way. But I do like to work with the people now, at least locally, who are very invested in it. Mm. And I think we have a lot of people like that in Turkey. And um, I enjoy it quite a lot. But I did reduce the amount of, like, I'm teaching just once a week. And I also told them to increase the hours of the of the classes. So have less classes, but longer hours. Mm. And I think that's quite nice. And over time, people know this kind of brutal, but it gets better kind of feeling <laughs> with the classes. Um, 
And so there's there's a good group of people, I would say. But I, like I said, I'm not an I'm not an organizer. I'm not owning a school. I'm an organizer of a festival, but I'm not uh, owning a school. So I'm not making the final decisions. At least, even though if I take a decision independently, mm. um, many other teachers are teaching in the same school. So it's it's not going to affect the why. It's only the people, like the 14, 15 people who come to my class. You know, yeah. it's, uh, we have thousands of people dancing, I guess. Mm. Like yeah, like there's space for your way of approaching it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Organizing-wise, we have more freedom, I guess. Uh, with Sarpil, we can go more with like, you know, inviting um, people that we really want to. And we try not to think too commercial. And it's actually damaging us in a way mm -hmm. because uh, financially we could play more safe um, but somehow we try to find someone from bebop we try to integrate some you know funk and stuff and we tried some afro-cuban music with uh with the festival it didn't go as planned but we're just more freely trying mm -hmm. um i don't think it's very well taken right now in Turkey at least it's like why are, why is there not swing music or in this sense of um, this teacher is not explaining enough you know we, we mm. get a lot of things back but I think in general we keep doing what we believe in yeah I guess and what we understand from at least jazz dancing or what we can bring to the community so we're a bit more stubborn on that yeah this makes me think of uh Because it, it sounds like the, the theme is a bit of a discomfort. I think about it quite a, a bit recently. It's like, how uncomfortable are you willing to feel when you enter a new space or a dance or a class even? Um, and because when I started dancing in Lithuania, I remember there was not, there was not so many options, like having many hobbies Uh, was not really an option. Like you had to choose, like financially, there were less choices as well. So when you started doing something, your mentality would be like, well, I'm just going to stick to this instead of like, oh, I'm going to try like five, five different things or all the styles I want. Um, and then that willingness to take discomfort, I think was a bit higher. And then I think of tap community, which is still like relatively like smaller and you know like tap classes is not like everywhere and you it's not the most popular thing maybe and I think it's a little bit because of that discomfort where people come and you know it's like you really need to work on it and there's only as easy as you can make it as a teacher when you're teaching yeah. tap but I, I feel like you know when we're making things bigger it's like we try to facilitate a lot of comfort for people to learn But it sounds like, okay, where is that limit where you start yeah. demanding for a lot of comfort to be explained things in a, in a way you want rather than like, well, you have to embrace a certain discomfort when you're entering spaces. Yes, absolutely. I think many of the organizers or teachers, as you say, maybe don't think about this. Um, mm. And and you you can also see the chain behind it, at least in, in Turkey. I will say that very loud and i keep saying it and i'm not saying it's a bad thing but you can see that the hard economy and this the, all of these uh schools have a studio these studios need to be paying rent you've got to keep people in a certain amount to pay the teachers to pay the rent to pay the you know the taxes and everything 
And in this way, you kind of, I think, instead of trying to find the balance and trying to find this like, yeah, we can push them, we go more towards the side of like, how can we keep people more disregarding mm-hmm. the the culture and jazz and so kind of sacrificing from its from its own, mm-hmm. which I find very unfortunate in a way. But it is what it is, I guess. This is how I think right now. And if I would be owning a school, I might be saying something different, obviously. Mm. That's one of the reasons that I would never do it in any near future. Mm-hmm. Because I, I wouldn't be able to... Like, I would probably go down <laughs> in, a, in a year and the studio would be closed. <laughs> or I would be sacrificed, uh, maybe. Or if I don't have a solution, at least towards it. But yeah, everything I say is for right now. Yeah, Uh, I'm very curious and I I don't know if you want to answer this question, but how Turkey's political situation and the change over years and has it affected Lindy community from what you saw? Okay, this is this can be answered quite long, so I'll try to keep it like to the point, I think for sure. But so... First of all, you know, we have a a certain religion that is integrated in the culture in Turkey and we have a certain political party which is considered center-right, which we don't even know how to define them now. Mm. But we kind of uh, have the same for 20, 22 years. And the thing is, I think at least, that the more the secular or the more uh, Eurocentric citizens of Turkey, I would say, uh, definitely search for activities where they can, you know, socialize more comfortably, um, more feel more free in a way, in a sense of dressing, in a sense of drinking. Um, and I think Lindy Hop gives relatively a good opportunity for people to socialize with people have, who have a similar sociocultural or economical background, which is, I would call, middle and middle high. Mm. and um, it kind of creates this this environment, which I think is breaking a little bit right now in a negative way, like it gets too much, which what we talk about mm. getting everyone in, um, because it should not be only about the socioeconomical background or having a similar cultural background. But yes, I think it gave more opportunity um for lindy hop to grow for sure for anyone who's like you know um willing to do some activity socially with people that they don't know and dance with each other it's just a great opportunity and it was marketed very well as well so i mm-hmm. think it's definitely related to the political situation and also i think it is very affecting the the people who stick to it because once people get really attached to the dance if I compare it to the Netherlands, no offense, no one specific, no school, nothing. Mm-hmm. It's just there is a higher quality of life. Even like, even many people who really like the dance or many dancers, they don't find this drive to, you know, to I would say like push it towards more than a hobby and just like digging deeper and I don't know working until twelve, you know, in the night. Uh, which is you would, you know, nine is late and no one would really work on their dancing for very long or push it. 
And I think in Turkey, it's very opposite. Like someone who's mm. working at six, I have a student. Uh, she's lovely. Um, uh, so she, for example, works in a hospital at mm. 6am as a nurse and lives on the other side, on the European side, mm. but comes to practice at 10pm, 11pm in the evening to work wow. until 1am and then go home and get maybe get like two, three hours of sleep and maybe do the same thing the next day. I think this kind of sacrifice you see because of this um, social environment that it kind of creates in the, in the community. Mm. So people who get drawn into it, they just stick and stick on a hardcore level. They get out of work and they just come to practice. So I think besides just people drawing it in, they also create the opportunity of like really getting driven by it and mm-hmm. keep keep doing it and pushing it. Yeah. Is is that the mentality that you also have when it comes mm-hmm. to practicing? No, I'm not I'm not very <laughs> I mean shouting out to the partners that I worked with, I'm not considered very hard working. <laughs> not in a, not in the sense that I'm very I'm not very lazy. But I think I'm probably not above the norm. Um, I do respect a lot of the side of like watching things, discussing about things, talking, trying out. Um, So I think on one side, I'm not very practicing all the time. And I should, I should, and I want to, and this is my goal to do it this year. Um, I still haven't done it in three weeks, but (laughs) (laughs) this is the idea to actually, because I do a lot of research and I do a lot of uh, digging through music and dance and archives and stuff, but not, Mm. not going to the studio and practicing a lot. And also Mm. I'm not going social dancing a lot locally, uh, which I don't regret, but I mean, I just don't. So it's, um, no, I'm not very... (laughs) <laughs> but you you know okay I have this philosophy but maybe partially it's a little bit of an excuse but at the same time I really believe in it that practice is so much more than just what happens in a dance studio when you're practicing steps or creating like all of the things that you're researching and listening to music and watching clips and whatever happens I feel like that's practice ultimately when you said practice, I just considered, you know, <laughs> yeah. the physical. The yeah, yeah. I think that's part. how people understand it most often, right? It's like you're right. I think for sure. Mm. I mean, uh, how how did the idea to organize um, Izmir Swing Festival come? Yeah, it was it was nothing planned. I had no plan to organize anything. Um, Sarpil, uh, who lives in Izmir, org- was organizing another festival already before the pandemic. Mm. And her partner, who she was organizing the festival with, moved to another country, to England. And so she said, one of the times she invited me for a workshop and we were having dinner. I think she said, I said, like, aren't you doing a new festival again? And she said, I'm alone. Like, I cannot do it um, anymore. And I said, like, let's let's do it together. Um, I'm down to help. And then we actually started uh, with it. Um, this is how it started. It was nothing planned. Uh, I don't live there as well. So it's not that easy. 
but mm. it's we had the second edition this year is coming the third one so it's going and uh, i mean you had some very i think interesting and new choices that i haven't seen many festivals do and in particular like bringing a little bit of like uk jazz influence yeah. um can you talk a bit more about that like how that choice and how was it taken in the festival yeah um i think so you know we me and semi mainly did a lot of research and practice in bebop dancing after my i moved to istanbul back to istanbul and i met semi and we we got along very well from the start and we started practicing together a lot and so we had the creation of tbop that started through um malik throwing an idea of um kind of doing a bebop influenced performance um so this is how it all started with tbop and uh, i already had interested uh, interest in bop music like hard bop i was a huge fan of hard bop since before the pandemic and i was listening to a lot of the music and i was dancing to it but i started really digging through it 2019 and the pandemic and we started practicing with semi a lot the two of us for many many months we would meet so much so we kind of just were so curious about it we had a lot of influence from the uk jazz mm-hmm. um, Uh, the troops what they call electric ballroom fusion um, bebop they have so many, so many names wayne who came last uh, year knows what's the right uh, mm. saying but so we really wanted to kind of integrate bebop and bebop dancing uh, in a way to the festival and give sign at least a little bit of a, a space for it and we i was started digging through um finding the uk jazz dancers from the time so digging through the troops and the names and finding people who i saw on some of the uh, documentaries on youtube contacting them some of them responded seven months later some of them said i don't dance for 19 years it's like <laughs> uh, somewhat mentally crazy like some were like uh, kept dancing but most of them didn't dance actively and a lot of them also are not teaching uh, but mm. in general not teaching they learned in the club they said and some of them had uh, like more classical dance training so there was only a, one or two names that i found and so this is how i dig through and um, i got in contact with uh, Wayne James somehow and he asked to do a video call the next day and he was not dancing for quite a while and he was one of the brothers in jazz mm. and we had a long like video chat with him and i convinced him to come to izmir and he said he doesn't really teach and he's he has a so he's a mentor of masumi a dancer from the from japan who lives in the uk uh, and he said i want to come with masumi and we said okay like you come together and when he arrived and he got really into the classes and he thought kind of most of the classes and it was amazing i think it was taken quite nice in a way it's a very new thing i guess and or the scenes are not connected to each other mm-hmm. let's say and it was quite interesting i think 
we were really worried that how Wayne and Masumi would feel during the festival because it's just like, you know, um, not their style of music, I guess, in a way. But it went uh, it went really well. And I think um, we're going to keep doing it with the bebop as much as we can. Um, this is how I would call it. This is how it started. It was an interest that's been there for years. And I pushed it towards the dancing. And it was a lot with Semi, just practicing steps, reading articles, you know, trying to understand um, bebop music and how they dance because there's not a lot of resources to it. Mm and choreographing so and then we said okay Serpil is also very like um, a fan of kind of UK jazz and stuff so you know she was very she was with the idea from the start yeah that's that's so awesome I feel like that that gap of of joining a bit more our communities and probably that's why it hasn't been done just even the research that you've done, it's like, it's not so easy to to find these people and necessarily get them to come. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they don't answer or they, they don't have the same names on Facebook and it's, it, yeah, it was quite some digging, but I had some help from um, one or two dancers from the, from the UK mm. who told me about like, Oh, check this name out, check this name out. And, uh, there was some networking, some people who knew already about UK jazz. Yeah. Well, when it comes to bebop, there's, I think, so many ideas that people have. Um, mm. And I think even in like, you know, kind of a, a shortened dance history, it's like we had swing, then bebop came, we stopped dancing, tap dancers continued, but like that was kind of it for us um, as like swing culture. Uh, what, how... How do you approach that topic, and what do you think are like currently a lot like the misconceptions that people have around bebop music or dancing? Yeah, that's a good one. I I recently got this question a, a few times, and mm. I think so. You you explained it very well. Like the the misconception is very much there. Like I wouldn't even say it's a misconception, but kind of this like very shallow. Um, way of looking at it I mean if you look at it I always say that it should not be so separated from big band swing like it has a different mentality it has certainly different traits and characteristics but it's not a very clear split of like oh swing ended and bebop started no like a lot of the big band musicians were jamming at the night after their gig you know and um, it was just changing some stuff from like one drummer would change something and uh, even in different places because bebop was not necessarily just as far as I read and know. It's not just like one place or one person. Mm, so I think it should not be separated so much because if you listen to bebop, it still swings very, for me at least, very clearly. But for sure, some of the changes of the drummers switching from a hi-hat to cymbal and um, some traits of kind of the the more complex and sophisticated melodies are um, kind of breaking some of the rules, I would say, which comes with a certain philosophy. But I was really curious about this after first when I got this question. I started like researching what musicians, how musicians defined bebop. Mm. And at the, the musicians of the time, of the creators. And you actually see like 
all of them have such weird, different answers to it, even for jazz, but for bebop as well. So, um, you know, maybe you hear a lot also in the, the misconception of like no dancing was said during bebop mm-hmm. and which is as far as I know, not entirely true because, um, First of all, a lot of the old-timer dancers say that they, they, in the in the ballrooms, they were dancing to mambo, they were dancing to blues, they were dancing to bebop. So you hear a lot, like especially after the mid-40s, that in the ballrooms, it was not only big band swing, but they played also a lot of bebop. So if, mm. if you would have, like, I don't know, Kenny Clark, or if you would have Dizzy Gillespie, they would be playing bebop arrangements or things that are in between. Um, yes, there was a conception of, like, because swing was so in a way commercialized in the aspect of the musician, I would say not for everyone, maybe, but kind of playing for dancers and playing seated, Uh, this kind of, um, I think some of the musicians say that kind of pushing the limits of, of what they were playing and uh, things were more limited. Solos were more limited. Like, you know, you would play like eight bars and that's it. But in Bebop, it's just like a head, and then you have all the solos and then you have an ending with a head. So things are less arranged. And well, the thing is that, yes, dancing, I think Sarah won in one of the books, I don't remember which one, but has an interview, which was one of the amazing like, bebop singers, mm. probably the most acknowledged uh, female bebop singer. So Sarah won says like, we would start playing, people would start jitterbugging, but then the music was so long and so fast, they would just get tired and they would move to the front seat. <laughs> but she says something about, oh, there was the, the black youth that would keep jitterbugging and applejacking on the back. So you actually had people, I guess, dancing to bebop music, um, more like hardcore things, I would mm-hmm. say, not not maybe the, the, the in-between things that you can easily lindy hop to. But it was considered, I guess, way less popular, maybe niche and kind of like a different, there's also a, a culture with it that comes with like the, the 40s and the 50s, the, mm. the bebop and the hard bop and the bop style. And it comes with a certain, like the, the term hepcat and, and hipster and they all are kind of like together. So I think the misconception is that there was no dancing to it mm-hmm. because also Frankie and Norma say about it, you know, like Bebop killed Lindy Hop and, and Norma would say, like, oh, that music. Like, you yeah. know, she, she has an interview. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> uh, with all respect. But I, we know, like, as you say, tap dancers did a lot like on Bebop because they were also pushing rhythmic um like the the limits or mm. rhythmically, um, so there was dancing. There was not no dancing, but it was way less. It was not like swing. This is what I know from all the all the research that I found out. And the misconception is that is that it's a totally different music. And it's mm-hmm. uh, when you look at it, it's just the, the same. A lot of the same musicians who played in big bands before, like, uh, and so it's not something different. It's more of a continuation. Mm. And the fact that it killed Lindy Hop, this I don't think it's very true as well. Mm. When when you DJ, do you try to push these limits of 
where we dance, how long in the songs, how complicated the songs are? I did this in the beginning and I was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I played these like Milt Jackson songs for six minutes and I remember in one of the festivals they were like, hey, you are done. Like it was kind of like on Friday. <laughs> We're like, hey, you're done. You know, you're set uh, the next set tomorrow and the other day. Oh, you're fine. I was like, <laughs> and someone just like one person coming to me from like hundreds of people saying like, oh, that was really good music. I was like, okay, there's something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did it in a very bad way. Now I, I really dig through these songs that I think quality wise, the way they play, the way the, the length, the solos, the arrangement, which ones are kind of in between, um, you know, bridging more, I would say, mm -hmm. for dances. So I think now I'm getting better and uh, I'm not getting my sets taken off from me. <laughs> They don't cancel me for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> yeah, so I, I've been receiving more uh, positive things about my DJing and even though I'm keeping the a lot of the bebop and the hardbop stuff, I'm even trying to use some things from the 60s, mm -hmm. like Eddie Lockjaw Davis and so on. They have super groovy songs, um, but sometimes they're long. Sometimes they have two weird harmonies. But I'm getting better, I would say. Um, it's not like before. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And when it comes to dancing, um, I think... You, you just have like a very clearly, a very individual style. And uh, I guess like with anyone, it's like evolving and we're all searching for things. But um, I think probably it's uh, by researching a lot of different things that you create these things. But like when we talked about social media, I think one of the effects is that... Um, there's a bit of like homogenizing of, of what is like dancing, right? Whether it's solo jazz or Lindy Hop, like some trends come up and then people are copying or someone wins a competition and people try to copy that. How do you balance that in your own dance practice and creation of like who you are as a dancer and what you get inspired by? I have a little bit of an unusual sometimes approach, not, not in a positive or negative way necessarily, just like, I try to think outside of the box and already that, I guess, makes my choices different mm. um, because I think this also comes from the importance of so many dancers talking about being your own in the dance. Like it's so important and I'm not the one to judge, but I do feel sometimes we are too much on the copying aspect or we are too much on on doing kind of the same things without adding up on it. So obviously because of researching and digging through all of these clips of bebop and the understanding of that and rhythmically, I do practice a lot of the things that are, let's say, not in the solo jazz um, library or things that we see. Um, and I find it quite interesting and I'm not executing them well, or I cannot transmit the things uh, that are in my mind always. Um, but I do try to practice things like, you know, once you have the, like the classic routines and then I really find it interesting on the improvisation and the rhythm aspect. But aesthetically, 
I never really think about it. And I guess you can see it from how bad it is. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm always occupied with the improvisation and kind of keeping it going and the rhythm. And I never had a moment of thinking about like my aesthetics, I would say. Um, and I guess that also creates a certain, you know, it creates a certain uh, style or whatever you call mm. it. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't practice that much as I told you. So it's a bit, <laughs> I'm a well, bit like, uh, I don't know. I just, I just dance. When I but I mean, I think you're killing it. Like the, the year, this year in, uh, or like last year Thank already you. in LHC in the solo comp. I think you just completely killed it. It was so good. Thank you. Yes, I barely remember it. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do push. Like I do push the idea of improvising. Like I never mm. try to do anything that I know that are connected. Or even mm. I remember joining uh, one of the virtual competitions, and I said, like, I'm not choosing a song. I'm not doing something choreographed. I'm just going to repeatedly dance or on whatever song was given. So I think I really pushed the idea, like to this discomfort to myself of like fucking up and, um, you know, being maybe sometimes like going off the rhythm or coming back or just like losing the, where I'm going at. Mm. I think that that helped me a lot, uh, mm. not making things easier for me. Yeah. Um, I have a question kind of with dance and life. What's something outside of dance that contributed to your dance life? Yeah, my my music, interest in music. Mm. I mean, I've been playing the bass since I'm 16, I think, so longer than dancing, as mm. I said, with the, with the gig and so on. So music was something that was already there and very integrated in my life. So I would say like knowing music, not in the sense of theory or like, I'm not, I'm still not understanding jazz. Like I cannot play jazz, neither on the bass, mm. um, uh, not in a, in a, in a literal sense, I guess, but, um, kind of understanding music, you know, rhythm and the precision and the importance of, you know, practicing certain things. And just, I was so obsessed with music. Like I would listen to music, I think way above the average of, of humans right now in the 21st century. Like I, I spend a lot of time with headphones. There's music all the time. I can work with music. I can sleep with music. So it's a bit, um, I listen to a lot of genres. I listen to, because I also played a lot of genres. I started, um, playing on stage when I was 17 and I did it until I went to Netherlands. And then when I came back, I also kept a little bit of doing music. So I played a lot of pop. I played a lot of rock. I played some, some jazz and R&B as well. I played a lot of funk. And so I think not my knowledge, but my kind of interest and like passion in music has made some things very easier Mm. with um with uh, the dancing mm -hmm. could you give a, an advice to people who are willing to 
who are looking to expand their knowledge in music, let's say swing, maybe like more bebop, but don't know really where to start? I mean, I always give the same answer, which is very lame and like expected, but just listen to a lot of music that is, you know, in the same umbrella. I'm not just mm-hmm. going to say swing, just don't just listen to Count Basie and Duke Ellington, but I don't know, listen to earlier stuff, listen to later stuff, whatever you, you like. I feel it's really connected because, you know, I find the question very interesting, what rhythm swings? Mm. And like the, these bebop tap dances, like the hoofers and like, I don't know, Will Gaines and amazing dances, Bunny Briggs, they have a certain understanding of what, what swings and what doesn't. And they even maybe push it on the boundary. So I think you understand that more over time when you listen to a lot of music and when you hear a lot of the the same patterns or the same things, like you get the feeling into it. It turns into something more automatic. So it's just a very straightforward answer. Just a lot of, Mm. a lot of music, I would say. Yeah. 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 It's like, how do you get better? Just keep, keep doing it. (laughs) Keep digging, keep digging. Uh, because a lot of people just listen to it when, you know, they come and say, oh, I listened to it when I was cooking or then you just listen to it in, in class. But I mean, it's not, I don't think it's like, is it enough to just listen to it? Like, I don't know, a few songs a day is like, mm. I think um, it needs, it needs a lot as anything else in life, right? If you want to get better at it, like you cannot just do 10 minutes a day and mm. just expect to to get way better at it. especially in such a music that is not um the mainstream right now you cannot just hear it on a around in a cafe easily and probably for many people haven't heard that music for most of their lives haven't grown yeah. up with that as well absolutely yeah you're also a physiotherapist is that yes. correct um how does is there a relation um, in dance and physiotherapy or things that no. connect? No, no it's I, just two I, separate lives for you. Uh, they're very, they're very separate to me. I mean, I get patients sometimes from the common social circle, mm-hmm. but, uh, in general, I try to keep it very separate. Mm, yeah. For me, it's, uh, it's my academic job and I like it and mm-hmm. I do it freelance and I do everything freelance. This is how I can keep going with all of these, um, you know, music, dancing and, and physiotherapy. Um, but yeah, it, they're not related at all for me. I don't uh, try to mix them up in any way. Um, yeah, I would say they're very separate to me. I, I change, I have to change big time also in a sense of as a, it's very different. Like in one, you really need to, kind of I'm you know I'm young and I need to look professional and I need to give the trust to the patient that they uh they will and I can help them and the patient needs to believe this that I'm experienced as well so even the way you dress your shoes Mm. you know the way you talk everything affects the belief and you know the effect of psychology on on in health so I think I change quite a lot. Like I'm not going to go with this sweater, you know. I can go to class like this, and mm-hmm. you know, with my hair, you know, all over the place. But I'm even careful which shoe I wear, which pants I wear. Um, so it's um, it's a very different, 
I would say, feeling. Like I go with the, uh, now I'm going to go to a patient with a guitar on my trunk. <laughs> but I go like as if I'm just, you know, very professional, just doing this job. And then I, you know, and then like, I go to rehearsal. You know? <laughs> you're a bit like Batman. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that would be a very exaggeration. <laughs> it's like a low quality yeah, change. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, I think it's just the, the interesting relation is that like both are concerning body and like the embodiment of certain things, you know, and it's like you're working with body, but in a very different setting. Yeah, mm. that's right. And also I'm very known for uh, injuring people in classes and not warming <laughs> up and not stretching. So <laughs> I have a horrible reputation. Like everyone's like, you're the physio. What are you doing? I never warm up. Like it's, uh, it's very different lives. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, what are you currently working on in dance and in your personal life? Okay. Um, I'm not asking a lot of the questions back because I guess it's like you're the host. And, I am the host. And I don't want to accept. I'm going to ask, but then I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, well, so I think dancing-wise, uh, last end of last year was the first time I was fully on dancing, meaning that I had no patient, I had no music gig, I... I was really like one and a half, two months in a residency in Athens, and which was very interesting. Uh, it was very nice um, to be in a different community and to be there. I mean, it's, they're lovely. But it also, I realized that I am not, I cannot do dancing just as one thing. Like that's not, there's nothing that I can do, even though I like it. But I'm in a phase right now that even though I didn't want to prioritize dancing or push towards it, somehow in the last six months in the year, you know, it just got more and more intense with organizing, with starting to traveling. And, and I'm always like willing to do things. And I say, like, oh, yeah, let's do this. And then suddenly I have a chunk load of work and... So it's, I decided for the beginning of this year, uh, because of the amount of like traveling and like to at least pause physiotherapy for a very little bit. Um, I'm just talking about two, three months, which will be very hard, but um, because of the travels, I have to do it anyway. I will focus a little bit more on dancing. And take this opportunity of like uh, going to ILHC, actually preparing well and not being, you know, as usual, like, <laughs> like in a way careless, which is not a good thing, obviously. But um, I think now with dancing, I do want to push myself a bit more. I have some stuff in my mind, but they don't have really a timeline. I do want to keep... Like I want to prepare a, a hardcore number with with Semi. Uh, I'm really excited to work to prepare a new classic with Serpil for ILHC, and it's just there are a lot of things that excite me in the sense of dancing. And as I said, I want to practice. But mm -hmm. 
Let's see whether that happens. Mm-hmm. In a sense of personal life, I I don't know. It's it's nothing specific. I just keep doing um, with the music. I have a band that I play with. I have my own project. I do want to specialize in physiotherapy, but there is no really proper time and resources for it. So I think for this year, the beginning year, I'm gonna say like, okay, I I give up. Um, uh, and actually prioritize dancing a little bit more. Um, that's about it. I try to keep everything going at the same time, but mm-hmm. I will let dancing take a little more over, I would say. Mm. You you strike me as a very patient person. Is that true? Patient? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> if, if, if you would uh, put it on the same um, kind of... Uh, on the same bench with like careless <laughs> <laughs> in certain ways I am sometimes uh, very yeah even though of you know participating in competitions and going there and there I think I should take things more seriously sometimes and mm. I still feel sometimes I'm way too like you know whatever that, that's so interesting because like I think usually most people are the opposite when it comes to competitions even when mm. they are careless actually they still like care deeply and they're like very attached to the outcome and competitions yeah, kind of sure. have that effect uh, so I think it's very unusual to hear like that you feel quite careless about it yeah I mean I started going way less and less kind of getting excited in competitions and so on. I do enjoy like learning to perform more and trying to connect with the audience because I'm sometimes very much dancing on my own, mm. which then like go dance in the corner. Why are you dancing in front of people? <laughs> but uh, in a way, um, I, I do find it that I have to be more present sometimes. Mm. This is uh, something that I, I will try. Yeah. Again feedback of something it's so interesting because it's like everyone it's like having the strengths and then weaknesses or the things that people need to work on and it's like it's always interesting to notice how someone's strength is the other person's weakness right so it's Mm -hmm. like again like being connected to yourself or someone it might be very hard for you it comes more naturally but then needing to work on like opening up and projecting things as well even though I say this, uh, I feel that I'm very, very strict with choreographies, for example. Mm. Like very, I don't know. I can be probably pain in the ass. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, it's another aspect that I, I really enjoy the process of creating it. Uh, mm. But yeah. Yeah. To, to round this off, I have uh, three rapid questions. Okay. And uh, yeah, you can answer in one word and one sentence. So the first one is, what is the best dance advice that you have heard or received? It was, I think it's Maurice Hines says in one of his interviews, um, take this step and make it your own. Mm -hmm. I think it's an amazing saying, like about this dance in general. So I always try to keep that in mind. Yes. Nice. I love it. It's almost like it should be uh, 
on on every class at the door, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> If you're learning yeah, jazz. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, what about the worst dance advice that you heard or received? <laughs> I never thought of that. That's a good question. <laughs> I don't, I, nothing comes to my mind at the moment. It's probably some of the advices that I've given earlier when I was started teaching, <laughs> like 2018. Probably some, some stuff I said uh, would have been probably the worst advice. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would say, yeah, anything that kind of really is, is too technical. Mm. Sometimes it's very, I think, um, misdirecting, I would say. Mm. Way too technical. But I've heard a lot of things, not that I experienced, but I heard a lot of things, people talking about like angles and, and things, you know, like very specific or just saying everywhere that like people say something about besides rhythm, you know, which is, I would say, more the objective thing um saying like no it's not like this it is mm. like this i guess these are usually very hard then to to get off you know in the futures people get used to certain things yeah for sure um and the final question is what is success for you or how do you define it in your life mm. <clears throat> You mean dancing-wise or you mean in general? In general. Life. I think life-wise, it's it's probably, I guess in a way, like independence. Mm. I would call success. It's nothing that like the money I earn or whatever you win or where you're seen. Or, but I would say kind of the independence, I guess, at this mm. stage. But it might change, right? Mm. But dancing-wise, I really, I really race with myself. I feel like right now I have, I really want to do a certain routine, uh, but it, it, it will need a lot of preparation. And I kind of like if I do that, I will feel like it's a success. If it doesn't suck completely, <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't. I don't really have a definition of success for. But it's definitely not competitions. It's definitely not uh, having, you know, international gigs. Uh, I mean, they're all nice, motivating things, but I don't consider them really, really success mm. for me. I don't really have a definition because I'm not very focused on the end goal. Usually, I'm yeah. just focused on the process. So I, I don't know where it takes me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm going to be or see. I just take the route that I enjoy. Yeah. Well, Errol, I'm really looking forward to what you're going to create and what crazy routines and things are going to happen. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to What A Jazz Podcast. The episode was created together with the music of Dimitrio Papa, the visuals of Linda Vilnishkita, and the support from the Swinging Europe Network project. You can follow our updates and the new episodes on What A Jazz Facebook page. Take care, goodbye, and until next time.